to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. I'm here today with Heidi Bushy a relationship expert and coach who believes that true love and intimacy are accessible to everyone. She helps her clients identify destructive patterns of behavior, unpack them on a microscopic level, and face them with fierce honesty. Heidi wrote Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate to share the work that helped her break free of painful patterns and choose partners differently. The book is about shedding the old narrative and learning what a healthy partnership looks like, and what cupcaking actually is. Welcome, Heidi. <laughs> Hi, Talia. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm so grateful that you wanted to share your platform with me and to talk love dating relationships in the month of February with Valentine's Day right around the corner. I'm just so excited. Yeah, me too. And I feel like I've got a lot to learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, before we get into anything, I would love to know what cupcaking actually means. Just because that light <laughs> is the- hanging over my head. <laughs> I love it that you asked that question. It was a bold move to put a phrase like cupcaking on the front of my book, but cupcaking is like a term that I basically made up. But it's about like when you first start dating somebody and like all you want to do is just like be in their armpit and like go wherever they go and do whatever they do. And you know that first time that you stay at your person's house, like you've been dating and you stay overnight and you stay overnight on like a weekday and you have to work in the morning and you're like, oh my God, you wake up and you're like, oh, I really wish I didn't have to go to work. There should be like some kind of leave that I can take so I can like just stay here and cupcake my person, you know? So it's like that early phase of relationships where you just want to spend all your time together, whether it's grocery shopping, walking the dog, watching TV, like doing it, whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, so many of my own relationships, like that initial cupcaking phase was like, you know, a month or two, but then it stopped. And so what I love is that, you know, I found my soulmate and I continue to cupcake my soulmate, maybe with a little less intensity than at first, but you know, it's like just really being connected into your person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The honeymoon phase, that real sweet. Yeah. It's all sweet. So yeah, it is really nice, that phase. Okay, awesome. So now that we know what that <laughs> what that actually means, I'd love it if you would share a little bit about how you got to your journey today because you wrote your book, Stop Fucking Randos and Attract Your Soulmate. Mm-hmm. But I want to know like, what brought that on? Yeah, well, thank you for asking that question. This is, you know, the book is really like half memoir and half how-to. So the first half of the book, I put like all my shit on blast pretty much every bad decision I ever made, like all the stuff that people are embarrassed to talk about. It's all there in the first half of the book. And then the second half of the book, I provide like a framework for how you can go about finding your person to cupcake for the rest of your life, if that's what you're looking for. And that is like the one caveat that I always put out there right away, which is that, look, if you are out there fucking randos and having a great time and you want to keep doing it, keep doing it. But if you find yourself in a position where you're like, oh my God, this like really isn't serving me anymore. Like doesn't really honor my capital T truth, but like, I don't have any other tools. And, you know, like the only tools that I really had coming into looking for a relationship was like swiping left and swiping right. And it's like, those were not serving me in terms of finding a long-term sustainable relationship. So Mm -hmm. what happened for me was that, look, I was two years sober, which like not everyone has to get sober to do this work, but I definitely did. (laughs) I was two years sober. I was like, you know, I was paying my bills on time. I was forwarding my mail when I moved. I was like going to work when I was supposed to be at work. And I just felt like I don't have any vices left, you know, except for like, parking illegally and fucking whoever I wanted to. So I'm like, I do what I want. I park my car where I want. I like get down with whoever I want. And so I had made this arrangement with this guy um, who was involved with another woman at the time. Like 
he had a committed relationship with this, well, I don't know how committed, but you know, he and this other woman were together and he and I had made an agreement to just like meet up and get down. And after a couple of months of doing that, and at the time, I should say that at the time I made the agreement with him, I was really feeling like I've seen sex in the city. I'm sexually empowered. I'm 30 something. I know I do what I want. Right. And right. so we were doing this and a couple months in, he broke up with his girlfriend. And then maybe a month after that breakup, he came to me and he said, Heidi, like, I don't know if I can just keep getting down with you. I feel like I'm objectifying you. I'm actually wondering if we could like go to dinner and get down. And I'm like, well, we could, but that would be dating. And he <laughs> looked at me and he was like, I was clear with you from the beginning. I don't want to date you. And when he said that, it was like the bottom dropped out. Like I was like, oh my God. Because even if I had been like honest about it at the beginning, I realized in that moment I had been lying to myself. I had really been hoping that he was going to dump her and choose me. And we were going to like go off to have dinner and sex together or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so I realized like I'm not honoring my truth here. I'm, I keep putting myself in these relationships with, partners who are unavailable, guys that can't commit, guys that have substance. Like I had all kinds of patterns that I kept engaging in that left me in a position where I was always getting hurt because like they could never possibly live up to my expectations. So I ended up calling a girlfriend and I did some work around men in relationships. And then a couple of years later, I was like, God, you know, my life has changed so much. My perspective has completely shifted because I've really discovered that like true love and intimacy are accessible to anyone who wants it. And I need to write a book about this because people need to know that this is possible. So I had been working a day job and I put my notice in on October 2nd, 2018 was my last day. And I wrote and self-published. I hit the self-published button or the published button on the book on October 1st of 2019. So it took an entire year to write the book, put it out there. And now it's like my purpose. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think that's where most things are born, right? We have this experience that really shakes us. Even when you said it, like he said, like, I thought I was really clear. I don't want a relationship mm. with you. Even I felt Ugh. like hearing that. Yeah, it's brutal, isn't it? I, God, it was so, so painful. And, you know, as far as like, there are so many times when I was writing the book and that I've done workshops and where I've told this story over and over again and like really kind of felt that pain again, where I'm like, God, why do I do this? Is this embarrassing? You know, whatever. And then I'm like, you know, my why, my purpose behind all of this is that I know that when I kept hurting myself with relationships over and over again, I felt so alone. I felt so isolated. I felt like I was the only woman like on the planet who like didn't get it. Had all these women around me that were like having, getting married, having kids, getting the white picket fence, doing all this stuff. And like, here I am picking another guy who I thought was going to be different. And it turns out he's like basically the same guy that I dated six months ago, but just like with a different haircut. And I still can't get it right. You know? So I just want women who are struggling with these patterns or with like dating that same guy over and over again, for me, it's like so important that you know, like you're not alone. You are not alone. You're not the only woman who's suffering in this way. And so that is why I'm like really candid about the experiences that I've had with regard to love dating and relationships. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I've definitely been in that same position as you, picking guys that I know it's not going to work out with. <laughs> you know, I said to my friend, I was like, I think I'm a commitment phobe. And it's funny because mm. I've had people say that to me before, like, you're Tyler, you're a commitment phobe. And then I've gotten like, well, no, I'm not. I've just got standards. And so I'm like, okay, hang on. Where does the standards and the commitment of vibe meet? <laughs> yes. It's actually really interesting because a lot of women I work with have the opposite problem where they'll stay too long. Yeah. Occasionally I work with a woman who is unwilling to stick it out through a bump in the road or like one moment of like miscommunication or like an accidental disrespect or something like that, you know, where it's like, oh, I have these standards. And so somebody didn't meet them and now I'm gone. 
And the thing that's really interesting about this work is like there really is no one size fits all recommendation that I can give or solution that I can give. But what I can suggest is that you take some time to kind of inventory your relationships. Now, I did an inventory of every relationship, emotional or physical, that I've been in with men because that's who I'm attracted to since I had started dating, right? So that was like, took me forever, right? But if you're like in an acute moment of crisis and you're like, wait a minute, is this a pattern? Is this something I do all the time? You can even just do like your last three relationships and yeah. you inventory them on this worksheet that I have. You can find on my website, HeidiBCoaching.com. And it asks you to kind of examine the relationship along a number of dimensions and to see where those patterns are. And that can kind of help you kind of shake out like, okay, is this a matter of like just one thing kind of spooked me or scared me off and I should try some new behavior by just sticking it out and like going on one more date before I call it quits or two more dates before I call it quits? Or is this like legitimately something that conflicts with my capital T truth that makes me feel like I'm not honored? That's actually kind of a sidebar, but that's a really good rule. I really feel like in our dating situations, in our love lives, we really need to feel honored. Mm -hmm. And so if we have these experiences that make us feel like, we want to leave or whatever. It's like, okay, was that a miscommunication? Am I still feeling honored? Can I go out on another date with this person and feel honored? Or is there just no way to recover from this? So there's just like some good benchmarks to think about if you're one of those people who's quick to leave. Yeah, definitely been in that boat before. <laughs> actually, it was funny. Actually, I went to a restaurant once by myself. I love eating out at really nice restaurants by myself, mm-hmm. by the way. And it's just so weird to me that more people don't do that. But anyway, <laughs> I agree because it's like such a delicious experience. It's so great. I feel like as a woman, there's something really powerful to being like yeah. getting dressed up, going somewhere fancy, knowing you can pay for it, sitting there doing whatever, like whether you're sitting at the bar drinking, you know, I don't drink anymore, but you know, I used to sit at the bar and drink a glass of wine or sitting at your table. Just kind of like, I also really am like a people watcher. I love checking everyone out. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I think it came from travel that I just like, would oh, you go out by yourself when you travel? So then I'm like, well, why mm. can't I do that in my own city? You know? I go yes. to beautiful cocktail bars because the thing is, as a mm. single, you always get in. <laughs> All these, years, yes, these cocktail bars right. that have lines and you're like, I'm single. So they just let you in. <laughs> Even in New York City, they're like, are you by yourself? You can just come in. And I'm like, sweet. <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Always. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So I was at this restaurant once eating by myself and my phone ran out of battery. So I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? And I said to them, oh, you have like a magazine or like a newspaper or anything I could read? And they were like, no, we don't. This is, a, <laughs> we have a menu. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to, and I found in my bag a piece of paper and a pen. So I made this list and I was like, okay, I made a list of my last kind of like five partners mm. and I put them in categories. I was like, these are ones that I kept going back to. And then I was like, okay, what's the reason you kept going back? These are the ones that you wanted to stay with. And I was like, mm-hmm. why do you stay with them? And I made these lists of like the attributes and I realized that my most significant partner, he had all of them. The thing that kept me coming back was mostly almost sex, <laughs> humor or sex, really. And what uh-huh. yeah. they was other things like emotional maturity, emotional compatibility, mm-hmm. you know, temperament, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Yeah. And then I kind of like unraveled this whole world for me. I was like, oh my God, something's working here. So anyway, I, I just wanted to because I can... No, it's so good. I'm yeah. so glad you did that because it really can be mind-blowing when we take an opportunity to actually look at in writing, what our patterns are. And then one of the things that I find is really challenging for me, and I know is challenging for women I work with, is like once you identify the pattern, like that's actually as painful as it is to write all that stuff down and to look at it and be like, "Ah, I can't believe it. The more challenging part actually is to figure out how would I act differently and then how to practice it. Because it's like we live in this world of perfectionism and achievement, and it feels really good to take the course, learn the thing, do the workbook, 
get the information about ourselves, but it's much more challenging than once we have that information. Oh, I usually date unavailable guys for too long to go out into the real world and notice, see the red flag that the guy's unavailable and walk away. Right. Yeah. Or see the red flag that I'm walking away too soon and stay for one more date just to like feel it out. Right. So it's like the actual practice of it. That's really where the good stuff is, but it's really the hardest part to do. I personally think it's the hardest part to do alone really helps have some people cheering you on when you're out there trying to practice some new behaviors. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I've had that, like the opposite end of that, like you said, is someone who is available comes along and they're like, hey, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm scared. Am I, am I ready for this? You know, when someone else is ready and you're like, oh, because I really feel like, and I mean, I can only speak for myself here, not anybody mm-hmm. else, but you know, when I was dating guys who were unavailable, it was because I wasn't ready and I didn't admit that to myself. Yeah. And I thought I did because I remember someone said it to me and I got really offended and I, well, not offended, but I really was kind of like, you know, and then I was like, my thing always is like, well, Tyler, if someone says something that razzles you up a little bit, then like have a little look if there's some any truth to it. Because often, <laughs> yeah. nine times out of 10, they said something that pushed a button for a reason. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's also the way this guy said it. Like, you know, I don't, I don't like being <laughs> well, explained do too. It is, yeah. Nobody likes that. No. It is hard to hear <laughs> feedback from people. And not everyone's motives are good when they're giving you feedback. I never suggest that anyone listen to feedback that their exes give them or that somebody that they're like in the process of breaking, you know, because like everybody loves to read the riot act to somebody that they're breaking up with. So it's like, okay, that person's assessment of you really doesn't count because it may not be grounded in reality. But it is, it's like, okay, how do I try something different? How willing am I to try something? How real is this? And honestly, the best way to get down to brass tacks of like what's really happening for me has always been to write it down and to like really catalog it and go, okay, what was real? What did I make up? What can I do differently? Yeah. So let's say you're in the the category of me before and I was like, okay, I'm dating all these unavailable men. And look, it did take me quite a while to notice because I was getting something. Here's the other thing. You get something out of that behavior, right? Yes. Yes. You get great sex. You get this like amazing idea that you don't have to commit to. And I think it also as well, I just want to point out again, only bring it back to me. A lot of that came from travel because I had these amazing lovers overseas Mm -hmm. and I knew that it wasn't going to go anywhere because it wasn't realistic to continue after that. So I I was able to be really all in. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what made it better because it already had an expiration date on it. Yeah. So yes, like, well, that I can just is go very in. common. Yeah. And then when you're like in the same place that they live, you're like, whoa. Yeah. No, it's so interesting, right? Because I talk a lot about the partners that we're looking at and whether or not they're available. But you bring up a really good point, which is like, am I really available? And what does that mean? How do I know, right? So one of the ways that I know that whether or not I'm available actually has to do... Let me back this up a little bit. My top rule around availability with a partner is that they must live near you. So if you are a person who's traveling all the time, then you're not really available for a long-term sustainable relationship. That's why I was getting to on this, right? Because the thing is, is that if we're traveling or moving around a bunch ourselves, then you're, like you said, the relationship already has an expiration date. We already know that like, it's probably not going to go anywhere once I go home and you go here or whatever, right? And on to the other end of that is like, if you start, you know, the internet makes it so easy for us to meet people who don't live near us. So say you start this flirtation long distance, it just kind of blew my mind as I got older to realize that like most relationships do not start long distance. Like most relationships endure a long distance separation if like somebody's mom's sick or the job gets transferred or whatever. But I was like obsessed with long distance relationships from the jump, which I'll Mm. talk about in a minute. And the problem is, is that they get really rooted in fantasy because it's like when you are dating somebody long distance, it's like, you don't have to deal with like the everyday bullshit of like, oh my God, I put to the store and get like avocados, almonds, whatever, like, 
oh my God, the bills, oh, this, this. It's like, when you're dating somebody long distance, you save up to go see them, you buy some new clothes, you're going to like, you're flying in to wherever they are. You're like having an adventure all weekend. It's different, right? This, it becomes a fantasy, right? And so that also is not sustainable because that fantasy is eventually going to run out or you guys are going to move in together and be like, this is not a fantasy anymore. Like, I don't like that your laundry's everywhere or, you know, whatever, right? So, but like I came of age, I was born in 1980. I came of age in an era where the internet and AOL had like just created connectivity for us. You could like get a little AOL CD in the mail and you like pop it in your computer and be like, and like suddenly for me, it was amazing because I was like very nervous and shy and I didn't like looking like I didn't know what I was doing. So in-person interactions as a teenager were a nightmare because I was like that goody two-shoes that wanted you to think I was perfect all the time. So it was like, probably like very annoying as well. But dating online became really easy because not only could I be whoever I wanted to be, better yet, I could be whoever they wanted me to be. And I was talking to guys who didn't live near me and I could be whoever they wanted me to be. And again, it all became something that wasn't really true. So it was a shock to me when I did this big, long inventory. And I realized like I have been dating unavailable partners since I started dating when I was 13. Mm. So from 13 to 33, for 20 years, I dated men that like didn't live near me, already had girlfriends, you know, were going through a divorce, like were emotionally unavailable, were alcoholics or drug addicts. You know, there were all kinds of, it just, the thing about unavailability is that those are my top three geographic singleness and substance abuse, but there are plenty of other types of unavailability that manifest. So it is like, how do I recognize what's a red flag and how do I honor seeing that it's actually a red flag and not like trying to turn it green? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of realizations in that as well. Yeah. I only had them when you took inventory. I really like, I like that saying, take inventory. Yeah. Yeah. It's important because we just don't know. A lot of times we don't even really realize how we're sabotaging ourselves until we look at how we've been doing it forever. And then we go, <laughs> yeah, what's yeah. my role in this? Right. Everyone's yes. really quick to kind of blame and look at everybody else, but it's like, well, hang on, I'm like common denominator here. <laughs> How do we, you know, what am I doing here? It's so funny, actually. I remember finally realizing that, you know, oh, Talia, like take a little look at yourself. <laughs> I was like, why did this take me so long? And also, I was a little bit shocked. And then I was like, you know, the devil on my shoulder was like, why are you shocked? Like, this is ridiculous. Why are you shocked? You've been here the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What have you been doing? Have you just been sleeping? Because I'm always like, no, I don't do that. And sometimes I say to my best friend, I'll say like, I don't do that. Like I said to her once, Mm -hmm. like, I don't really get jealous. And she goes, yeah, you do. (laughs) I was like, oh, really? And she goes, yeah. And she goes, you just don't do it very often. And it looks different Mm -hmm. to the way other people's jealousy looks. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, but that was ages ago. And she's like, nah, I'm sure it's still in there. (laughs) It's pretty recent. Like, oh, Yeah. I mean, it's wild. One of the ones that came up for me that I was so shocked to discover was like this thing where I realized where I hadn't really understood it. But when I went back and looked at my inventory, I realized like I had been really dishonest. Like I don't consider myself a liar. I'm not like a kleptomaniac. Like I really haven't ever been like a, you know, a liar. And yet when I looked in my relationships, I discovered that I was such a people pleaser that I actually did a lot of lying about how I was feeling that I was dishonest about the way I felt, that I was dishonest about the way a conversation made me feel. And I'm like, oh, that counts. Like that's also being dishonest. That's also being a liar because I'm not willing to give this person access to who I really am Mm -hmm. and then allow them to make a fully informed decision about that person. You know, I'm only giving them like Heidi Light, you know, which is like 
so cool and chill and nothing like, oh God, nothing bothers me. I'm so fine. It's totally fine. Right. Like that is not, I am not fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is a really, really good point. Someone told me the other day, a friend of mine told me that he lied to his doctor because he was feeling ashamed. I said, Hey dude, like, I don't think you should lie to your doctor because your doctor's trying to give you the best care possible. And how can he or she do that without the information that they need? Yeah. And I was like, maybe you want to might try not lying to your doctor. And And I just thought like, you know, exactly what you just said, like, if you're not giving this person the exact information they need, Mm -hmm. how can they make an informed decision? And if you don't do it at the start, it's going to be like five years down the line of wasted time (laughs) that they find out. You know what I mean? That's right. And all this resentment in between. Yes. It's really hard to undo some of that stuff, right? So it's like, you know, when we are not honest with our partners because we're ashamed or because we want to control how they respond to us or because we want to manage the situation. And so instead of saying, Hey, that hurt my feelings. We say I'm fine, but in a more convincing way or whatever, right? We rob them of the ability to actually show up for us and say, Oh, you're not fine. Why don't we do this instead? Or let's change course. Let's pivot. Right. And then we also rob them of the opportunity to like have all the information about who we are and decide whether or not we're the kind of person that they want to be with. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. And I mean, it's so common, you know, but it's like one of those things where, like you were saying, I never would have considered myself dishonest or like a liar. But when I looked at my patterns, I was like, "Mm." yeah, again, putting it under the microscope. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm I'm really hearing like reoccurring theme in this chat. Like, We really need to examine ourselves because we are lying to ourselves. Like I said, you know, lying to myself and then my best friend saying, well, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not true. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is super helpful. Thank you so much. I also want to say a friend of mine said, which I thought was really interesting. He said, if you're going to get into a relationship, he's like, I just go all in at the start because I want it to fail fast if it doesn't work. Because I'd rather find out in a shorter amount of time and then move on to somebody who does want to be with me. Now he's 40 and he wants kids and he hasn't found someone to have kids Uh yet. And he's Mm -hmm. like, I want to know fast if this person... And I was like, well, you can't rush it. And he's like, yeah, but spending time together means that they get Mm -hmm. to see me and I get to see them and then we can see if it's going to be a good fit. And I was like, huh, okay, interesting. I love that. And actually it really ties into what I was saying earlier, which is this concept of practicing, right? So, okay, so I'll tell you, I, like I said, I had this falling out with this guy. I hit this rock bottom around men and relationships. I decided I'm going to call this woman I know who's done some of this work. I thought it was going to take me like 30 days. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a quick little dick detox. I'm going to just like stay away from everyone. I'm going to just do this writing. It's going to be done. It took me 11 months, first of all. So for the better part of a year, I had no one-on-one contact with men. I didn't DM men. I didn't text message men. I hung out with guys in mixed company, like when we were in groups with other women, but I just like really went cold turkey on guys. I had to do it because I was like really drawn to the attention I was getting, the validation I was getting and all this stuff. So I had to just like cold turkey it with dicks, which was fine, but I didn't like it. And I wouldn't have done it if I'd known how long it was going to last. All right. So I did this entire, basically a whole year of like this deep dive into self. What are my patterns? Blah, blah, blah. So of course, when I finished, I'm like thinking, all right, universe, like where's my person? I'm just going to like open my front door He's going to fall from the sky, right? Right. Wrong. I didn't meet my now husband, Jeff, until nine months later. I did nine months of dating in between. But I love that your friend talked about the phrase fail fast. Is he an entrepreneur? Yeah, I guess he is an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we hear this a lot in the entrepreneurial space. So what happened for me in the aftermath of all this information I gathered about myself, I started to go out on dates, right? I went back to dating because I'm like hoping that the guy's going to come. And like the second date I went on, I went on a date with this guy where, okay, this is going to sound weird, but we met at this park, which is the Pacific Northwest up here in Portland, Oregon. 
we met at this park and he like made me dinner at this park on like a park grill or whatever. I don't know. And he was like, Oh, should we go back to my house? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's fine. You know, even though I knew I was trying to do things a little bit differently, like pump the brakes on getting down. So I go back to his house with him and he's like, Oh, um, you know, he's like laying it on thick. And I'm like, look, I, I really don't want to, I like really don't want to get physical because I'm trying to do some things differently. And he like pulled back and looked at me and he's like, well, what's the worst that can happen? And I was like, what's the worst that could happen? You could like have sex with me and then murder me and then chop me up into a million pieces and stuff me in an oil drum. Like no one would ever find me again. Like that's one of the worst things that could happen. And I like picked up my shit and shouted that out as I walked out the door, which was like failing faster. Because in a previous life, I would have put up with that. I would have caved. I would have had sex with him. And then I would have wasted like six months of my time on him. And so I started to, what this work did for me was it crystallized for me what these old patterns were. And then I also created something called an ideals list, which was like a top. And then I narrowed that down to like my top five non-negotiables, right? So I get this whole list of ideals. And then I go, these are my top five. You must have these to play, right? You must be this tall to ride. You must have... (laughs) That came out so much sturdier than I thought it would. But anyway, right? You have to have these five things to play. And so it helped me to eliminate potential partners more quickly. I got to fail faster. And as we get more clear on what we want, and as we get older and maturity comes with this too, it's like, I don't have time to be wasting. You don't have time to be wasting. I don't want you wasting your time with these guys that are kind of like, meh. Like we don't, just like when you go shopping or you shop online for shoes, like you don't fuck with shoes you don't like. You only buy the shoes you like. So it's like, in this case, it's like, I don't want anyone who's done this work to be wasting their very valuable time with men who don't cut the mustard or partners that they don't really like, because it takes your attention away. It takes the ability for the universe to like drop you the right person away when you're like messing with these guys that aren't like good fits, you know? So you do learn to fail faster. And it also made me more confident to go, no, you're not what I'm looking for. You can't respect my boundaries. You can't hear me when I say no. Okay. Well then If you can't hear me today on our first date, you're definitely not going to be able to hear me in five months. So we're done here. You know, so we got to, we do, we get to fail faster, especially when we have more clarity on what we're looking for. Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the things I want to point out as well is that as women, and I know this is really horrible to say, but we're used to being pressured and coerced. Yes, we are. Which is absolute bullshit, but we are, Mm -hmm. we are just used like that kind of behavior from that man, him not respecting your Mm -hmm. boundary is very common. And very normal. Like you said, like the old me would have just caved and had sex and, but that's not Mm -hmm. what I want. And I did state that. And I don't want somebody pushing that boundary, you know? Well, it's really interesting because one of the suggestions that I give for women who I coach and who want to do this work and are like, really like, no, I'm really ready. I want to find, I want to settle down. I'm like, look, one of the things that you can do, which nobody likes the suggestion is to wait until you've gone on four dates to even kiss this person. Yeah. And everyone's always like, oh my God. And I'm like, I know it sounds bad. But it's a good opportunity. Like, look, I don't like to think of us as like testing partners, but I do think it's important to say to somebody like, hey, I actually have a personal rule where like, I don't even kiss people until we've gone on like four or five dates. Yeah. It's just how I am. It's just how I'm navigating through dating. And you can tell a lot about a person from the response to that. Yeah. So like, you know, I can tell that somebody is grown up, mature, emotionally available if they can hear that boundary and say, oh, cool. Yeah. Right? But if he starts negotiating, how come? How come, could we, or negotiate, could we do three dates? What about two and a half? What about, you know, starts negotiating if he wants to know why he's not hearing your boundary, he can't respect you. So like, that's a good indicator. Like that's a red flag, bye, onto the next, you know? Totally. So I do like to think of dating as like information gathering. And part of that information gathering is going, here's the boundary I have. Can you hear it? And can you respect it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a friend of mine. He's the sweetest guy. He waited a year 
this girl he was with, she didn't mm-hmm. want to have sex. I'm sure they made out. I actually didn't go into too much detail. But yeah, he said he waited a year. She was from a different religion and she wanted to mm-hmm. wait for some specific reason. I can't remember the details, but yeah. And I was like, wow, good for you, man. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I don't want to pressure her. He goes, that's icky. That's right. And I was like, of course it's icky. Yeah. That was one of the things that was so wild about that guy that was like, what's the worst that can happen? I'm like, are you serious? You seriously want to fuck me if you have to convince me to like, that yeah. doesn't feel good either. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's like, so I really love that. And honestly, my husband, he was really one of the first people that I tried this four date rule on. And, you know, we had gone on like a secret date that I didn't really realize was a date. So like on our first actual official date, I was like, I have this rule four dates before kissing. And he's like, oh, awesome. This will be the first date. And I'm like, no, the last date was, this is the second. And he's like, no, this is the first. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, like he oh. was really respectful and like, he didn't want to try to cheat or anything. That's sweet. Yeah. Because the thing is, if you really like someone, you wait, right? The yeah. unfolding, it's like the sex is a cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This exactly. amazing cherry on top of this incredible Sunday and all the emotional mm-hmm. lovey-dovey stuff is like the ice cream. Maybe people like this topping better, but I like the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is a great segue, actually. So you just talked about finding your husband. Let's talk about how you attracted your soulmate. So nine months after you had your kind of detox. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just laughing. I forgot to ask if it was okay to be explicit, but... No, yeah. My, now we're good. By all means. By all means. <laughs> and so first of all, where did you find your husband? And... Mm-hmm. I mean, you just described one thing that's going to answer this question, but how did you kind of know that he was the right person for you? So good. Okay. So there are a couple of things. I think I'm going to talk about how he came into my life before I talk about how I met him. So one of the pieces that's in the book, that's in the workshop I offer, that's in the workbook that's online is the idea of making an ideals list. So this is like, it is an exercise in unlimited thinking. When you are at this stage, I want you to think about like every single possible trait or characteristic you could want in a partner from all the way down to like what their hair color is to like, are they, I do like people to get really specific. So like a lot of times we go like, Oh, I want a rich guy. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean like he literally has seven figures in the bank and he drives a Mercedes or does that just mean like he has a place to live? He doesn't have roommates and he pays his bills on time. Cause there's a difference in magnitude of that. And both can be considered like having their financial house in order. Right. So it's like those two things, like that's a really good one. Another one that I like people to kind of drill down a little bit on is like, you know, when we talk about values, like he has values. Okay. Like what kind of values? Like, does he like spending time with his family? Another good one is kids. Like, do you want a partner who wants kids? Do you want a partner who doesn't want kids? Do you care if your partner has kids? Like all these kinds of questions. Maybe you want somebody who's active, like who snowboards or something, right? So you'd like make this big long list and then you can use it to ask yourself, like, do I also embody these characteristics. So if I'm looking for somebody whose financial house is in order and they're like rich, is my financial stuff taken care of? Do I pay my bills on time? Like, am I saving for retirement? Whatever that is, right? And so it's a good opportunity to kind of check yourself to see if you're embodying the values that you're looking for in others. And I do know that when we embody the values that we're looking for in a partner, it makes it easier to attract that person into our lives. The other thing is, is that just like logistically, it makes it easier. So if you're like really into guys who snowboard, then you better like pack your boots and binding to get your snowboard out and head up to the mountain because you're much more likely to meet someone there who snowboards than like if you spend all your time in the movie theater, right? So some of the embodiment of these values and ideals is really about like kind of beginning to act in a way that's in alignment with the kind of love that you want to draw into your life, right? So if you are hoping to date somebody who's really loving and affectionate, are you loving? Are you generous with your love to your family and friends and to potential partners, right? So it's a good question to ask yourself. 
as far as like how I met Jeff, we actually met in, we both are sober people in recovery. We do 12 step work together. We do 12 step programs. So we met in AA. Oh, awesome. Which I do not recommend to be totally honest. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous is a recovery program for people who struggle with alcohol. It is not well people's anonymous. There are, you know, people, <laughs> people who come to AA are suffering from all kinds of, you know, stuff going on in their lives. Jeff and I had been going to the same meeting for like two and a half years before we decided to start dating. I was three years sober. He was two and a half years sober or just two years sober, but we both had a good amount of sober time. We had both been through 12 steps. We had done the entire round of 12 steps. We both had sponsorship in our lives. So there were a lot of boxes that were checked. Yes. That kind of like gave us the green light on like, okay, this isn't necessarily an ideal way to meet your person, but this is what we're going to do. And then we just went out and we dated. And honestly, it was another piece of practicing, like, how does he look against my ideals list? And also like, how do I just like get more information for about like who he is? How do I also give him more information about who I am? Am I being honest? Like, so that he can make an informed choice and then just kind of like assessing and reassessing. And we fell in love and it was beautiful. That's so awesome. And also like similar, you understand each other's path because mm-hmm. you've walked the same path together. Exactly. And we do have like similar lifestyle stuff. So like, I know, you know, we still go to meetings. He goes to his meetings. I go to my meetings. We both have a spiritual path that is independent of each other. So there are some things that are on my list that like, that he really embodies in a way that's very convenient in that it's very aligned with the way I do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. Those things in common. And also those are pretty big deals, right? If you're someone who doesn't want to have alcohol in your life, then having a partner who also doesn't drink is very helpful. It is. I will say though that, you know, I know two or three women who are sober women and they dated guys who did not have a problem with alcohol. And as soon as they told their partners like, Hey, you know, I don't drink. Their guys were like, Oh, cool. I don't drink now either. And I'm like, what? Oh, really? (laughs) Who would do that? I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. That's really sweet. Yeah. I don't know that I'd do that either. It's funny, actually, all the guys that I've dated mostly drink a lot less than me. So uh-huh. I drink less when I'm around them because they drink yeah. like a sensible amount of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I like it. One or two drinks. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it's awesome because it's like I had outlined my ideals and the values that I wanted my partner to embody. And then I started embodying them myself. And then I was, you know, drawn to Jeff and we got to get to know each other. And, you know, several times along the way, we got to be really honest with each other, which I think was a first for both of us to say like, I'm feeling afraid. I'll never forget. I shared with him. He messaged me one day and was like, oh, I'm going to the grocery. Can I pick you anything up? And I was like, oh, hummus, carrots. And I was like, honey nut Cheerios, chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, I'm so mortified. I sent him the list right away. And then I was like, so embarrassed to be so, I did not anticipate that sharing my grocery list was going to be like the most vulnerable moment of my day. You know, like, <laughs> what did he say when he said that? <laughs> we still kind of joke about it because I sent him the list and then I was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. And he was like, why? And I'm like, I just didn't realize like how personal it is to me to share my grocery list. And he's like, I'm not going to judge. Like, it's fine. You know, I'm like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is funny, actually. There is that thing of like people, I never really thought about it until it happens or someone's kind of like checking out your fridge and like, <laughs> like yeah. my, my friends came over my house and they're like, wow, you're really living the single life here. And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, <laughs> and they're like, you've got like, you know, like I get those individual glasses of wine because I don't want to drink a whole bottle. Of course. Yeah, I don't want to open a whole bottle. I yeah, understand that. Yeah. And then like, you've got like the lint ball stash and the top shelf and you've got <laughs> yes, all this yes. nice food. And they're like, we don't have that nice food because we've got kids. And I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I remember being the kid with no nice food in the house. But I'm like, don't you have like a secret stash? 
And they're like, a secret stash. And they're like, no, the kids. Oh my God. Or for years, I don't anymore. I haven't had a cigarette and I don't know how long, but you know, I was a smoker for a long time. I was trying to quit, but I just couldn't quit that last one. So I would have a pack of cigarettes in the freezer. And so I could have like one cigarette a day, like one cigarette at night before I went to bed. And like, yeah, that was embarrassing to have them open the freezer and be like, there's cigarettes in here. And I'm like, I know it's just like, I'm just not quite done yet. You know, <laughs> don't they dry out if you put them in the freezer? I had read somewhere that they kept for longer. I don't know if they're good or, I mean, they're cold when you light them for sure, but I think they keep longer, but I don't know. I'm yeah. not an expert. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I think this has been super, super helpful. I think this step of examining yourself, you just really can't go past that. Yeah. And being really honest. So I just want to ask, like, when you went through the nine month fast or 11 month, was mm-hmm. it? Sorry. Yeah. Man fast. I'm going to call it man yeah. fast. Sounds good. <laughs> what did you call it? Dick I called it a dick detox. <laughs> man fast, dick detox, whatever. All the same. Yeah. What do you think helped you the most and why do you think it lasted so long? Because you said you wouldn't have done it had you known it was going to last so long. Yeah. Why do you think it lasted so long? It took me that long because I'm stubborn. There was a lot of writing to do and I didn't want to do it. I would like write one line and then I'd be like, oh, this is too much. I can't look at it. You know, it just some of it took long because I was doing that. I was stubborn. I was working. You know, it was like I just didn't really make the time for it. The other thing that was really incredible about that period, and I never would have thought that this would have been a consequence of that, was that I made friends with this incredible group of women, which at first I was like, I was doing this work with a woman and I'll never forget. I was like three weeks in and I called her from my car crying. And I was like, I can't believe it. I can't even talk to guys right now. It's so stupid. This is so dumb. Do I have to be friends with like stupid women like you for the rest of my life? (laughs) She was so gracious. She was like, (laughs) That's so funny. She, she just laughed. I was just feeling all these emotions and all this intensity. And she was like, oh my God, it's fine. You're fine. We're going to be, you're going to be, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know. And to this day, she is like one of my ride or die friends. I love her to death. She was in my wedding with Jeff. She is somebody who was there for me all the time. And as we got further into the work, she's like, because you're not talking to men right now, you really need to put some energy into nurturing these, some relationships with women. Yeah. And so in the book, I also talk about how to build a girl gang, why it's important. And actually it was like through nurturing my relationships with women, which when I was spending time texting men, I would a hundred percent of the time text the guy first, right? Right. Anytime something was going wrong, I loved texting a guy about it. Cause then I got to cry to a guy and like lean on his shoulder and like get a hug, you know, whatever. Right. So I never reached out to women first. It was always men. And so when I took men off the table, I like developed the ability to reach out to women in my life. And like one of, there are so many benefits to that. All of them, uh, there were a core of seven women that I reached out to during that period. And almost all of them are still around today. And we have like a really, you know, it's like however many years later, six years later or something. And aside from that, I actually really learned, I used my relationships with women to practice some of this stuff that I ended up having to practice in my romantic relationships as well. So it was really a very safe place for me to practice being honest. Mm -hmm. Oh, that hurt my feelings, right? Like I just was not ever good at confrontation. And so I learned how to practice being honest with my women friends first. And then when the stakes felt higher in my relationship, it wasn't like my first rodeo saying like, my feelings are hurt. I don't like doing this. Let's try some, you know, it was like, oh, I've done this before. You know, I've said this phrase before. Yeah. So it's not quite the answer that it's not, I'm not sure it quite answers your question. It took a long time because I'm stubborn, but one of the best like outcomes of it was that I got to be friends with like really beautiful women in my life mm-hmm. who have supported and loved me along the entire journey. Yeah. Oh man, I just cannot speak highly enough about 
relate sisterhood relationships with amazing women. I just think, mm. you know, there's so much that women go through. And I think if we can be there in solidarity with yeah. each other, it's just so, yes. there's just still so much kind of crushing patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> on us. It's I know, we're true. Going it's true. Yeah. We need each other. And, you know, I, that is one of the things I love about the time that we live in. Like, I think more than ever, so many more women are aware of the concept of like empowered women, empowering women, about lifting each other up, about making space for each other on platforms. And that's partly why, like, I'm so grateful for, that you're willing to share your platform with me today because it's like how there's space for all of us. And so many of us as girls grow up in this competitive mindset she's prettier, she's smart. It's like, girl, there's room for all of us and let's just all go on the ride together. And so that was a really beautiful kind of side benefit of doing all this work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I think that is such a lovely note to leave this on because I think, I agree. I just think, and I love that you say that's one of the best outcomes that, you know, what a Mm -hmm. gift, what a gift. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Heidi, for being here with us. Ah, Thank you, Talia. Oh, you're so welcome. So can you tell us like how people can get in touch with you and how they can find out about more about what you do and your programs and your books and stuff? Totally. Yeah. So I hang out mostly on Instagram. I'm at Heidi B Coaching on Instagram. You can find me there. Once you get there, you can click the link in my bio to get to all the stuff. There is a book. There is an online course. There is one-on-one coaching. There's a podcast. I host my own show called The Relationship Ready Podcast with Heidi B. I think that's all the things. But yeah, Instagram is kind of like the main hub. And then you can find me outside of that. Yeah, cool. Thank you again. And you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP23. Heidi, you're a legend. Have a lovely 2021. Let's hope it's better than 2020. (laughs) Ah, yes, please. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast. 